0: After, let me just tell you all, we tried to record this podcast once and we were basically into the waves how we normally do. But then all of a sudden we had some technical difficulties with some cables. But I am back, joined by the almighty legend, Mr. Roberto Carlos. How you doing, man? Very good.
1: <laughs> good thing they, this uh, podcast is not
0: live. Otherwise, you would have been stressing <laughs> It would have been like when you got those church milk moments. I know people listening to this probably know about church milk. It's like a church online like meme page where people post like, let's say during Sunday service, like an electric guitarist is like super out of key or super out of tune and it goes on like the live stream. Then people record the live stream. And make like a meme out of it. And they post it on this website called Church Milk. So literally you've seen, I've seen some funny stuff on Church Milk. Like one time on there I saw this guy. He was seated in the front row. And so the camera was following the pastor. And then all of a sudden you see someone from the side come in. And that they just sock straight in the face. He punches the dude in the front row and they start fighting. And then the meme basically said, when the Holy Spirit hits you literally and then it like they just started fighting in the video but it's funny because these are like actual people's churches like on their facebook streams or on their whatever live streaming so you know how you've seen some pretty like chafa streams out there so <laughs> that's the last place you want to be church milk but any any experience you have in the uh, technical that really make you sweat <laughs> me personally oh yeah of course i mean i got too many to count probably um I don't know, as a worship leader, one time we were there and it was funny. Basically, we were just getting everything prepped last minute. All of a sudden, everything just shuts down. Just we were there like this. Actually, this was from a sound engineer perspective. This was more, I was doing live sound and we were, this is recent, we were in Puerto Rico. And we had done everything perfect. We had done a great sound check. Um, I had one of my good friends, Raul Sanchez, really, really famous, like super popular dude. He was he had the mix dialed in super, super good. And then boom, all of a sudden, like the breaker just goes out or the power goes out and the console power cycles. It shuts down and then three seconds later, it shuts, like it turns back on. And all the scenes were, it was just all erased. So And this was, like, on the first – this was on the second night of, like, a huge crusade. So people were already coming in, coming from so many, like, miles away. There was, like, maybe already at the time when that whole technical difficulty went on, like, maybe 250 people waiting already there. And just this huge sound on the PA. And it just was crazy. How about you? I know you've gone. You got your many – Ah, uh, many, many uh, bad spirits. How about? I know you did video for many years. How about some of your more funny your video experiences, where maybe you've been like, because I know you did. Um, you were like a video director for a long time, so you actually were switching live. Like, do you have any moments where like one of your cam ops got like a funny shot, or like just put the camera on someone and like where you were just like, what the heck is going on? Oh yeah, I mean definitely when
1: you try, when you're recording. Uh, sometimes people they don't like to be recorded and they send you a bad face like really <laughs> yeah.
0: so they'll just stare at the camera and like make eye contact with it or
1: what yeah. well they do make uh contact and also like they they do um an ugly face <laughs> like you know to the cameraman like you know yeah i remember one time um we were recording i was in an event and 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 i had i don't remember who was in the camera but um I don't know if you remember Jorge but he, he 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 used to help us a lot and I remember he was trying to uh, capture um, a lady and then uh, the lady uh, was looking at the camera and he put she put the finger really <laughs>
0: wow she put the finger yeah so did you know how like like I'm saying you were cu- you were cutting the it live so yeah. you were cutting the shots live yeah. and you triggered her shot. Yeah. So because she was live? She was live. I mean wow. it, it was like, you know Was this did you guys have IMAG at the time? No like was, the it, screens it, showing the No, 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 no. Okay. No, no, so it was just for you no, guys it, in the broadcast. It, it, it was it was recording yeah, pretty broadcast. much. Okay.
1: It, it was like a crusade and you recorded yeah. the and the VHS and then you know you're doing live and camera one camera so two were camera three, live, yes. and you we cut, cut, cut a
0: shot because you were like oh I like that shot and then it you was chose nice it. in
1: the moment and then the lady the sudden, <laughs> boom. <laughs> it was like
0: what that would for sure be a church <laughs> I mean, moment it was I mean it was kind of scary. <laughs> If Church Milk existed back then, imagine, let's say, like, you were live streaming that service. Yeah. That would have been hilarious. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and then technical parts. I mean, I, I remember
1: um, we had a great—this was our church. We had an event. And um, I remember we used to record in DVDs. Mm. And then you press the— A uh, little bit old school back there. Yeah, come the, on. you press the DVD uh, recorder. And I remember that, um, you know— with, with the events, a lot of pressure and thing, And I thought that I repressed record, but I never did it. Dang. So the whole event that night was not recording. <laughs> and what did your boss say? And at the end, when I went kind of like, you know, see? Yeah. The, <laughs> it was like nothing.
0: You showed up to your boss like, so how did the recording go? You are yeah. like, well... <laughs> There's no recording. It hey, went so good. It was great. It was amazing. <laughs> it, it was so impactful. We had three three million people give their life to Christ. Now, uh, what I do remember, though, is that anytime there'd be a technical error, and this is in a lot of places. I don't know if you guys know, but like maybe growing up Pentecostal, some of y'all might identify. But as like, soon as something technical starts going on, the first <laughs> thing you hear is like, the devil is a liar. Yeah. The devil is a liar. Something's going to rise. Where, yeah. What's going on? Where's the deacon? They, they, they blame the devil. Always. Always. And like the, and then the technician in the back is sweat. Exact come on. Let's we gotta talk about that. you you're, they're over there interceding. You got the deacons in the front row just being like, what's happening? What's going on? And then us as tech people or as production people were just like, oh, you know, we know what the technical is. Just like a matter of one of the weirdest things. It could be anything: console resets, breaker goes off, something super technical, whatever it might be. And you just hear someone in the back praying in tongues, casting out demons, <laughs> getting ready to like, come on, we got to get into spiritual warfare for this
1: one. Even the, even people come to to the to the uh, um where
0: you are they said it, like yeah. like, oh like, I like, have a I have a crazy story like one. they, like they yeah. know what to do right they come up to it and they're like so this one right I hate that they just come up to you or they're like are you doing okay like should we pray should, like I'm like I need to figure this out. Like, yeah. this is not a, yes. Pray for me, but don't pray for me here. Pray for me <laughs> somewhere else. Like, hilarious.
1: Share, share your experience. I know you guys have a good experience. Cheer yeah, share with let cheer us. Share with us. I mean, it just uh, you know that that's that's what
0: it is. It's life and you figure it out with time. You know, especially with us over here with this whole podcast situation. Man, we're barely getting started into this podcast journey, but we're on episode number eight. We're happy to have you guys here with us. So, you know, cut cut us some slack. Bear with us. We're we're still figuring it out. We're not at at a high level production. Spotify Studios, Universal Studios. Eventually, we'll get there. But for now, we're gonna just keep getting into the waves.
1: I think you've been challenged with uh,
0: Salomon. How many uh, songs he wrote? Oh yeah, (laughs) we were talking about that actually with um one of my clients. Uh, cause we had mentioned, I, we had d- talked about it in the podcast and so I was just talking to them and they were like, oh yeah, you know, like I'm trying to release like 50 tracks by the end of this year. And I was like, honestly, bro, I'm just trying to drop a thousand and five songs like <laughs> Solomon did. Like that level of work ethic, you know, we got to put it in, but yeah, it was dope. I don't know. Been getting a lot of feedback from you guys on you know ways that we can improve the podcast, ways that we can get better. So honestly, we thank love you very much. It. Yeah, we thank love you. it. We uh, we appreciate. Keep letting us know. Yeah, honestly, this is all a learning experience, and this is our community. You know, this is for all of us. We're all at the end of the day trying to stay wavy. So you know, keep it keep it coming. <laughs> keep the comments coming. So yeah, this week we're taking a little bit of a pivot, guys. We're we're actually. You know, I know that we started the podcast in sort of this pilot-type scenario, this weird... We kind of uncharted into the waters, but inadvertently, you know, we've been talking about it off-podcast a lot of... Sort of, we've stumbled upon this really, really cool pattern and this really cool revelations that, that we've been sort of diving into regarding God's plan with humanity. You know, like, do you know who Drake is? Which one? Drake. Uh... Oh From where? Gosh. From You're, where? You just memed yourself. No, you Literally, that was hilarious. Nah, you don't know who Drake is. It's, he's basically a rapper. He's okay. a Canadian rapper. Okay, done.
1: They know. No, I don't know.
0: Yeah, you've probably seen him. If you were to look at a picture of him, you'd be like, oh, okay, that guy. But basically, he has a song called God's Plan. So mm. it, the joke didn't hit. But for y'all listening, y'all, you guys got my joke. But yeah, we've been diving into God's Plan, essentially. But God's Plan with humanity and how that... Um, ties in to this concept that I, I, I wanted to pick your brain on it a little bit today um, because it's related to the topic that we're going to be talking about. Today we're going to be diving into the waves about three men specifically, three men who in Hebrew faith, in Jewish faith, if you choose to list and believe in you know, their models of how they label and categorize individuals, These three men that we're talking about today are regarded as the patriarchs of the faith. Specifically, if you're familiar, we're talking about Abraham. We're going to then talk about his son Isaac and then his son Jacob. So we're talking about three generations today. And so that's kind of the premise of where we're taking it. But before we get into that, I wanted to sort of pick your brain on a concept that I stumbled upon. um, And it's this concept of election, I don't know if you've heard of that. In Spanish, it would be like um, the the el escogimiento. Sería like the noun verb of it. But election basically meaning like the pattern in which God has come and has chosen to work in his path and work his plan out through specific individuals. Like, I don't know if you have anything to add on the inside of that, specifically as to the patterns in which God chooses to elect certain people you know we know that the first people that were chosen were adam and eve of course you know within the nature of the garden and ultimately how that culminated in jesus as being the ultimate the chosen one i don't know if you have anything to add on that concept of election because last couple episodes we talked about people who were also elected by god directly we've spoken about saul who was God called him directly to be the king, the first king, and then David himself was then called directly by God. So what are your thoughts on this concept of this pattern that we've started to see of election? Even Paul, when we spoke about him, was jo- chosen directly from God. What, what, what do you have to add on that, some insight?
1: Well, um, I think when you read the Bible, especially in the New Testament, when you see the uh, genealogy of Jesus, you see Jesus, you know, God. God, you know, he became man, he was here in the earth. But if we trace back all the, the uh, Jesus genealogy, you will see people that it shocked. Let's say, for example, Rahab, right. the the, the uh, prostitute, she's, you know, listed in Jesus' in genealogy. genealogy of Christ. Of Christ. Right. For me, when I saw it, and when I, it was like, it was a shock for me, like, wow. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's, that's the pattern of God. Sometimes we we think that he might choose the intelligent ones. We might think that he will choose special people, but we see throughout all the Bible that he chooses simple people. And sometimes you wonder why. Because that's that's how God works. Because you know, he can turn yes. He can turn
0: the nothing of something. That's also the concept of biblical election, you know, like other, let's say, for example, other religious systems, like they promote specifically connecting with like divine sources individually. Like if you look at like, you know, just to name a few, like let's say Buddhism, for example, it's about connecting just soul, individual relationship, whereas this pattern of election, we see that salvation really ultimately comes through relationships like it's impossible to do it alone basically like and so that's where this concept of biblical election is so pivotal especially when we start talking about the people that we talk about today because you know we can break it down and I know we were talking about this off podcast and I wanted to save it for when when we had it rolling but God's plan with humanity, right, if we're to go back to that concept of how, you know, his ultimate design for us and his promise from the start was that we were meant to rule with him in God's image. And we see all throughout the course of the Old Testament, specifically because that's what we've been kind of telling most of the stories from the Old Testament, because I think they're fascinated. I think they're really intriguing. But more than anything, I think it's really important to see the patterns, and those patterns, I think, give us a deeper appreciation for some of the more subtle parts of the word. And specifically, you know, everyone claims Abraham for faith, right? Big, big, big faith. But more specifically, you know, it's funny because there's not one main specific reason as to why Abraham was chosen. Let, let, let's just go there specifically from that start, right? Like, You know, if we're if we're to follow the story up to this point um, and sort of to give a breakdown, we've been talking about David and we've been talking about Solomon, which was a historical era of the kings, which then eventually transitioned into a historical era of the judges. But we're actually going back in time. We're taking a leap backwards. So. Um, for those of you who have been reading along with their Bible, or just for those of you curious who like to study or who are interested in the little fun facts about this, we've mainly been reading from the book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, the first book of Kings, which um, are books that come after in the Old Testament. They're considered more historical in context. But the books that we're actually about to dive in for most of these next couple of episodes, are actually interesting. They're unique. Um, they're called the Pentateuch to some people, which in Hebrew faith is literally the entire composition of their main pivotal text, which is known as the Torah. That's where their text comes from. And so the word Pentateuch, obviously Penta, like Pentagon, meaning five. That's right. So yes. we're talking about the first five books of the Bible which in this case, every little kid who went to Bible Sunday school knows Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? And interestingly enough, these books were written all by the same person, were, were written by the f- famous, eventually who also can be considered a patriarch, but in his own sense, uh, was written by Moses. But today specifically, we're going to really dive in to Genesis, And that's where we're going to get a lot of the story for these three generations of families, this all from one stemming from one family, of course. And so we're going to dive into a little bit about the relationship between brothers, the relationship between the families and how all of that ultimately lines and connects to our lives today. So let's just dive into it straight off the bat. I know we've brought up in a couple past episodes Genesis 3, and I think that that's an important Touching point because we know it as the fall of mankind, right? And in that fall, what pattern do we see described is essentially humanity, mankind, in this case, Adam and Eve, taking matters into their own hands. What do I mean by that? Meaning that they choose to execute their own free will as opposed to living and walking and executing the will of God in this case, which has been communicated to them time and time again, whether that be through direct intervention, like when God spoke to Adam, God spoke to Eve. That's that's the initial pattern that was created, divine, direct, individual to God. But now we see that humanity falls, mankind falls, right? And I kind of want you to bring us up into a little bit of just a summary context of the generations after Adam and Eve Give us a context of the families at the time. I know that, you know, after Adam and Eve came Cain and Abel, right? Yes, but right, then, yeah. But then what happened after that? Well, you remember that uh, in the beginning, God— Just so we can skip through, you know, the first couple chapters of Genesis, let's say Genesis 1 through 10,
1: right? Yeah, we know uh, uh, we, as we go back that uh, God's design was that they can multiply. So when they right. when, when when he said multiply that that was God intention that he was gonna you know the families will grow. Right. And he and, wanted to create more yes, people. Yes. Right. Because the, the heart of God is 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 especially work with families. Okay,
0: and then we see that... The, uh, a relationship, uh, like how we established at the yeah. beginning. God's plan with humanity is to establish that relationship, yeah. right? Because is uh,
1: remember, I, to, I think I, I, I touched this uh, in the other podcast, that it was the uh, Adam and Eve were the visible image of God here on earth. Because God is a spirit. Nobody can see God. He is a spirit. So he, he created man to, to manifest himself here on earth. So what he did, he put a family together, men and women, and to multiply so they will have kids. Wow. And we see Cain uh, Cain, uh, Cain, and Abel, the, the first two brothers. And from there, it goes the generation. We see that Cain killed abel cain kills abel see, right so from right there we from already
0: the, start to see that humanity yes. is not going down a good path
1: and then now. and then when god called uh uh came and say you know it's at your at your door the sin? he had it in his heart, right the intention to kill his brother fighting
0: against yes. his brother and that's what could we call that like wickedness evil or how, how would how would you like to put that for the people listening
1: well i I would put it in the easy way it is is the the fall the the adam the nature nature. yes yes i would say that the 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 wicked nature that is that is there is the resolve of sin right because if we if we trace back see that's when the enemy the serpent that was his intention to get it get
0: get, to create a division between god and man yeah
1: yeah, and then we see in, in Jesus when he's talking about about the the enemy. When John ten ten, the, the the enemy came, the the thief came to to kill, to destroy and to rob. So one of the intention of the enemy and his the the you know the wicked nature is to kill. And yeah. we see we see Cain killing Abel. He's so we bro-
0: see humanity, although. You know, and it's interesting because I, I was asking this, like, you know, in my debate, and my preparation, it, it could be confusing to some listening. Like, why why did humans continue to be innately evil, if you want to look at it that way? But, you know, it's, it's important to realize that aspect of it, which is that at the time, but p- picture this, guys, for a second. We're sitting here with microphones, iPhones, and MacBooks. That didn't exist back then. So we're talking about... A level of humanity that was very raw, almost not primitive because they weren't cavemen per se. They they were advanced. They were developed. But the level of like intellectual reasoning that they had was very limited. And let's say, you know, at the time we spoke about, you know, those pre-Adamic races in a couple episodes when we talked about Goliath. Think about that. Like you have literally angels, fallen angels coming down to earth and interacting with humanity. These aren't like good angels by any sense or like these positive influences. They are forces of you could say darkness if you want to consider them darkness, but they're just not necessarily the most positive influences. So that's kind of important to know in, in the in the culture that existed at the time, because. It transitions into what happens, you know, Cain and Abel, they were brothers. Then, of course, they reproduce. They have their generations. But it leads us to the, one of the more popular stories that is known in the Bible, the story of Noah. And Noah, yes. And yeah. that one to me was very, not confusing, but again, it raised some questions to me, you know. Because I was like, it, a lot of people who are opponents of the faith or who are critical of the faith will say, you know, God just destroyed humanity right? But I, I think there's more to it than just that, right? I don't know if you can touch on on that aspect of that story and how it's unique and how it ties in to this whole concept of election and how God was still trying to work through humanity, how, how that connects. Yeah, because remember,
1: just from the
0: beginning, he, he had a plan. God is a God of plan.
1: God is a God of purpose.
0: So Which was, again, his initial plan yes. and his still initial design is yes. for us to be ruling in his
1: image. Yes. Right. Yes. To, to manifest Genesis chapter one. Yes. To manifest what, what He is. Correct. Because he's, he's a God of blessing. That's a, Yes. See, he's a God of blessing. It, 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 when you see sickness, when you see wars, when you see uh, poverty, when you see all calamities, it's the sign of a sin. It was never it, designed in, it was, in the design of
0: God. Yeah. It's
1: never, never in the heart of God to have to have the, the, the earth dealing with this stuff that we're dealing now. It wasn't his plan. It was not in his plan. So so knowing God from that perspective, you know, he he was not gonna stop what would happen with other and He said, you know what, I need to go, you know I need to finish what I have started with with the humanity. And this case and then we see the parents, these two brothers, you know, they fight, one killed the other and boom. And that's, and that's this one of the pattern of wickedness yes. was created yes. to the
0: point where it counts and recounts in Genesis that humanity had reached the point where they were committing like things that even in our modern day context would be considered like yo these people are doing too much yeah, yeah. but they did it they didn't care Now, yeah.
1: no I'm 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 going to say something um I know I have a, I know maybe a lot of brothers that you know in the faith but um I lo- maybe you wondering we know witchcraft. When when we receive witchcraft, well, there is a book called the Book of Enoch. Mm. It is not part of the the canon of the scriptures. Yeah, let's make that clear. It's not technically biblical canon. We have the Bible with sixty six books, but the Book of Enoch it was not part of the canon. Right. Okay. It's more like a
0: like a historic book if I can, can say that. It can be interpreted yeah. because there's no backing of, you know, in this case, textual validation yes, to yes, verify. Yeah, okay. but it says in the
1: first chapters of the Book of Enoch that the, the angels, the, the, the forwards with Lucifer, those was the one they taught the human race this type of, you know, we, uh, witchcraft, uh, black magic, uh, white magic. So that's real. So with the intention of what? To the intention of of put in their heart of the people wickedness, separation, So, separation. Yeah. so we see. Can you
0: imagine? A, um, a and Ca- all of this, we're gathering it for those of you reading. You guys can go and read Genesis chapter six, where it describes the condition of mankind. And you know, it's funny because you we're we're creating this scene, we're setting the context. How do we arrive to Abraham? It's through this path, through Adam, through Cain, through Abel. And if you go and read chapter 5 it'll uh, G- genesis chapter 5 it describes all of the generations leading up to noah specifically if you're interested in reading that which it is important because it then comes to play a, a factor later on and you know to touch on that original concept of how god has been dealing with humanity through these families because eventually when we see later on we read about david we read about saul and how they were in war with these tribes yes. of people Where do you think these tribes came from? At one point, if we're believing this, which we do, we know that there was only two people on earth at one point. So we know that technically everyone is family, and that's the larger plot narrative of humanity, how through one family, he was trying to extend his blessing to all families. And, And that's important because, again, he makes the condition of humanity at the time had just reached the point where it was... It was just too much. Essentially, you know, if you read a little bit of, ch- of chapter 6 of Genesis, mm-hmm. it says, When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. So, again, although it might not be in the book of e- like, if you choose not to accept the book of Enoch as canon, here in Genesis chapter 6... If we read between the lines, we know that the sons of God is a term used to refer to angels. So here in Genesis chapter 6, we see the evidence of this iniquity that steps in, where these fallen angels see the women, they see the daughters of men, and they create offspring. If we can say it was the lost desire. Mm, interesting. Let's put it straight right there. Okay. It was
1: a lost desire to, to, to an angel a
0: spiritual being to have a relationship with the human. And, you know, it's crazy because God says the following. When he sees this, I know we spoke about the race of them. They were called the Nephilim. Yes. Here, again, this is textual evidence, Genesis chapter 6. God, in chapter, verse, chapter 6, verse 3, says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children with them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. But look at what happens, the pivot in verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know, and there we see again the model of biblical election. God was grieved with humanity, the condition the 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 amount of sin that had encapsulated the world you know it's crazy because we see this pattern just progressing fast forward into the future with jesus when he was at the cross it says that the weight of sin was so much that jesus bore that the father had to turn away it it pained the father to see the sin like that here we see it again the biblical model for it, genesis chapter 6 because You know, we know that, and this ties into the whole concept of the God of generations. We see God establishing that he is the same then, the same today, and the same tomorrow. We see his consistency and his patterns develop even here in the early story of Genesis chapter 6. And you see uh, verse uh, 8, what it says right there. What it says? That Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord
1: my my uh, English uh, virgin said pero ante los ojos
0: de Jehová." found favor in the eyes of the Lord.
1: so what does it mean that the Lord God was looking upon the earth right he was looking the lifestyle of the people and we see there was a generation that in their heart all was wicked yes but Noah he found favor, so that's when the, the the process of choosing people start with God. Correct. You see, you the see pro- the pattern of election. The, the pattern of election. See, God is
0: look. He's looking. His eyes are looking the way we live, because he had to look in order for him to become grieved. Again, that pattern. Yes. We saw. It, we see it on the cross when it says God looks at Jesus. Yes. Because he, and eventually that's the only way in which we're redeemed. But again. We won't dive into the on how deep that is yeah. and how beautiful that yeah. connection between Genesis chapter six and then eventually Matthew yeah. chapters twenty and twenty five. So
1: for the, for our listeners, that's the answer: how yeah. how God patterns to choose people. He looks the way you and I live
0: because it especially, says, especially yeah.
1: especially in the in the middle of the the wicked generation.
0: Because verse 9 says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless yeah. among the people of this time. And then if you read verse 11, look at the, the, the big contradiction because it says that Noah was righteous and blameless. But in verse 11, it tells us that the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. The complete opposite, the opposite. Whereas Noah was righteous and blameless, the earth was corrupt and full of violence. So there is one man
1: living righteousness yeah. against the whole community living
0: what wicked. His brothers and his sisters, because again we know that they all came from the same generation. So so and today
1: in the, in in the modern time, God sees it the same way, right? So so you might be thinking. Can God choose me? I definitely
0: say yes. Right. That's the beauty of it. Because I definitely can say yes. Look at what he does do, right? Obviously, you know, I, we can go in and read, oh, my goodness, the earth, God destroyed the earth. Okay. But he destroyed, he didn't destroy the whole earth. He destroyed the wickedness that was in the earth. He was trying to redeem humanity. You see, again, God's plan through a specific process known as election, known as choosing one family to eventually bless multiple families because look at what it look at what he does, right? We saw him create this pattern of election with Adam and Eve, but look at now how he does it with Noah. I'm reading in Genesis chapter 9 where it basically says God's covenant with Noah. Now I want you guys to note the word covenant, just in your mind because it's going to be extremely important when we talk about Again, I I want you guys to really start to notice these patterns and how beautiful the illustrations are. Because look at what it says in chapter 9. It said, then God blessed Noah and his sons. At the time, Noah, we know that Noah had three sons. Their names, if you guys want them, are listed on verses basically 7 and chapter 8. Off the top of my brain, uh, I'm not recalling what they were. But essentially, oh, I do have them right here actually. It's beautiful because it lists them in the following, chapter 10. So the three sons of Noah were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Those were the three sons of Noah. So look at what he says. He says, be fruitful. I'm reading now chapter 9. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Right? There's the same command that we saw him give Adam in the first pact with God. We see God reestablishing his initial plan. Right? Right? And now I'm reading chapter 9, verse 2. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air. Upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hands. Boom. The pattern of dominion reestablished through Noah. We see basically Noah as a shadow and a model for Adam. Hand in hand, the same blessing that we spoke about. Dominion and communion first half he assigns them dominion again verse three everything that lives and moves will be food for you the same promise he made in the garden you may eat of everything because i've given it for you just as i give you the green plants i now give you everything but look at what it says in verse four but you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it and for your live blood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. You, hear, you see Here you see him introduce a new model. Here he instead of, you know, God's smart. He's extremely smart. He realizes that the pattern that he first instituted, he realizes the condition of man. So he says, actually, let me modify it. This is going to be important because as we continue to dive into this pattern of election, we see that God always reestablishes his plan, reestablishes his covenant, but then always makes modifications, always makes it so that way it can cover more people. So that way it can be a blessing to more people. Because now he's saying that he will demand an account from each man who sheds the life or sheds the blood of his other man. He's establishing a new set of guidelines. He's saying humanity is no longer going to be full with violence and with all these patterns. He's trying to redeem them. Right. And so he just goes on and he blesses them. And how does he bless them? He marks it with a very specific sign, which if you guys have, you know, again, you grow up in Bible school, you see the illustration of Noah's Ark. You always see this giant rainbow behind it, because what does the rainbow symbolize? It was a mark of God's covenant with humanity. And and that's very important, the
1: word covenant. This is this is very crucial uh, to understand and to keep, you know, to to treasure it in your heart because the word covenant we we're seeing right there just from from the beginning, and we're gonna see it um, through the whole Bible the word covenant because that's that's God's promise that whatever He promised
0: He's going to accomplish right because He says and that's the beauty of it is that. God will always that's in the nature of God is that he will always fulfill his word that's why the covenant is so powerful because we see and you can ask yourself you know as we said if I'm imperfect why why am I still qualified why am I still made eligible because God has made a covenant with humanity which is that he wants good for us. Because we, re- we can read in Jeremiah where it says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you life, to give you hope, to give you future, plans to prosper you. So that's part of the covenant of God. Look at what he tells him, right? We're talking about the rainbow. And he says, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant. I am making between me, me, God, and you, every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come meaning that right there he was promising that every single person to come after Noah was to be f- was going to basically fall under the grace of this covenant. And he says, "Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life." Right? And then he later in verse 17, So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth forever. So right there we see the introduction of God dealing with humanity through one specific family.
1: And if you, if you, if you read uh, verse 16, it, it says what type of covenant God is talking about. It said, When I see the rainbow in the cloud, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth.
0: It's eternal covenant, forever, and that's where we see. You could follow this narrative all the way back to Jesus. This same plot and this same covenant. So that's what we're gonna dive into today. We're gonna we're gonna dive into and ask how do we get from all of this this. You know, how do we end up to Jesus? How do we end up talking about all of this? So we're going to take a little bit of time to break that down today. You know, specifically after Noah, specifically after Noah, essentially what happens is that, you know, I, I mentioned that he has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And if you read essentially chapter 10 of Genesis, there's this beautiful recount called the Table of Nations. And in it, essentially, It describes the pattern that these basically generations break up into these three main buckets of people, right? The Jephites, who are the sons of Jephet. Right there it says their names, Gomer, Magog. This is where the Bible trivia comes out. If you ever want to find names for your sons, (laughs) obviously some of these are pretty old, but you know, there's of course the sons of Jephet, which are the Jephites, then the sons of The Hamites, which the sons of Ham, right? Cush, Mizriam, Put, and Canaan. Oh, there you go. There's one that you guys probably will remember. Just keep remembering these names. You've probably heard some of them before. Eventually, the Canaanites become a group of people that are problematic. Yes. Yes. We see then um, the sons of Ramah, Sheba. We talked about the queen of Sheba when it was in relation to Solomon. So, you know, you, you we hear all these stories of biblical narratives, but we see that at the end of the day, it's basically just this family conflict. All these nations warring against Israel later on in the future all stem back to this original plan. So it's crazy to see how far back God's plan really does stem, you know? Um, and basically, it, just, it says that it goes on and they establish this kingdom. And the first centers, I'm reading now in chapter 10, verse 10 of Genesis, it says, the first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Akar, Kaleh, and Shinar. And from that land, it went all the way to Assyria. If you guys remember the Assyrians, they also become very, very big, you know, to this... uh, important to the narrative of israel and their enemies essentially so then it goes on to describe who are the sons of shem so first we were talking about the first two brothers now we're talking about the sons of shem whose older brother was Japhet, and you know it just lists a bunch of them on there elam ashur lud Uz. i'm just listing a bunch of random names at this point but they're all there if you guys want to read them they're in chapter 10 of genesis known as the table of nations but fast forward you know it adds these but i really want to focus and zoom in on the verse 32 of chapter 10 where it says these are the clans of noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations from these the nations spread out over the earth after the flood so so what is that indicating to us right there? That indicates to us that by this point we have a physical accounted description of all of humanity and we see that they are all essentially what related. They're all family, right? And this essentially becomes important because although humanity, you know, we're going to read this story that we're going to Just hop straight into it. We're going to dive straight into this next concept that for many theologians, for many historians even, for many people who just know anything about the Bible, this is one of the more famous stories that people know. And good thing that I have with me today, someone who can definitely break it down for us because I know for sure that I was confused when I read this story, but we're talking about Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. What, what, what does this signify? What is this story? Break it down for me. We can even read it. I think it might help for us to read it. But yeah, think-
1: we can read it because uh, this one of the uh, uh, chapters in Genesis, is very controversial, especially yeah. in the uh, times that we live in. In the modern times, we have seen many people interpret it, w- interpret yeah. it in the wrong
0: way. And uh, just put it simple. Yeah, you let's know? read it. I mean, chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech, again, we see the evidence for that in the table of nations. Everyone came from the same background. So, of course, they all have one tongue. Now, chapter two, as, uh, verse two, sorry, chapter 11. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Right there already, that's a little bit of an interesting nugget. We see a technological advancement. We see them evolve in the way in which they're choosing to design their architecture, not as rudimentary. Now, if you want to put your tinfoil hat on for a second, you can only ask yourself, where did they learn how to make these ingredients, right? We talked about that. Anyways, it then says, then they said, come. I'm reading in verse 4, chapter 11. Then they said, come. Let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Pause. That was deep, man. I already know this is getting shifty. Verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said... If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Again, pause. That sounds like a pretty good compliment to me, but (laughs) look at what verse 7 says. Come, let us go down. Let us, referring to God operating with, you know, his angels, in this case, his team who's with him. Or he could also be referring, if you read between the lines, to the Holy Spirit and Jesus. It, it, again, it's it's very abstract in that sense. But come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Verse 8. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. If you
1: read verse 4, look what it says right there. That was the the, 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 the intention of the people. Look what they say. What does it say? Then they say, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. Right there, human wanted to reach where? The, the heavens. The heavens. See, that's that's when, when in their own uh, efforts, in mm. their own design, Genesis chapter three, the, in their own mind, wanted to reach the heavens, the skies, on be, their own strength, In their own, own strength, with their yeah. own ability, with their own. They we wanna, see the intention was, was to go there to make a name for ourselves, to make name says. for themselves. Now, if we continue reading, it said that reaches into the sky. These Will make us famous, and keep us from being scattered all over the world. They had a purpose. They have. They had intention not to be scattered, so we can be united. We can keep be together. See, because it says they have. They spoke the same language. Right. Right. But w- what amazed me is that it says that that the Lord saw. And he said, but the Lord came down, and look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united, and they all speak the same language. This is a very principle, because you
0: see, they were united. Why they were united? I think, and this is oftentimes, like I've also question myself too the narrative right because it's confusing like I said it sounds like that's a good thing that unity is a good thing but however it goes back to the the chapter in the model of the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3 because the serpent knew that he could not force man to do anything that they didn't want to do, which is why he had to partner with the woman in order to lead them into the fall. same way here right? It's not, the bad aspect of it is not that they were united. Because again, we see the pattern of unity in Adam and Eve. They were united as one. But we really see the separation come in between them when Eve chooses to take matters into her own hands, to essentially execute the will for herself. They were filled with a selfish desire, yes. At the end of the day, that if we can say that,
1: if we can put which it that way, it was a fame. self, yes, it was yeah. a
0: selfish desire
1: to be like God, to be like to reach to a reach place, the heavens, to reach a to place be
0: exalted, to yes. be famous, yes, which was you know a very, very interesting dynamic. And an interesting, I don't think that it's coincidence that the chapter 11 chooses to describe it in that sense because if you go later on and read the book of ezekiel where it describes the fall of lucifer the same pattern oh, that's that, a big one huh? the same pattern yes. that he demonstrated was trying to reach the status of god or to be famous in the same way that here we so i don't i don't think that this humanity that existed at the time was really had the purest of intentions to begin with. And remember
1: that not, it, it was not only Lucifer that was thrown down, that it was influenced. It, it, it was yeah. one third yes. of yes. the angels. So, what does it mean? That the, the one third of the angels, they have to be united in one accord said, you Correct. know, we're going to follow Lucifer. So, there
0: was unity. It was, you see,
1: yeah. it, 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 unity, you see, unity it starts in heaven. Mm, because, it's a kingdom concept. Yeah, because it can be a good unity and a bad unity. And that's why we see in the in modern day that sometimes we see groups, we see people racing, and sometimes that's a bad unity instead of being in good unity. But let,
0: let's leave it like that because we, this is a big topic. But It's a big topic yeah. because what we see there is a huge because what it marks is essentially, you know, What happens is God's plan with humanity, essentially you see another reset almost. But this time, again, we remember that God made a pact and a covenant with Noah that he was not going to destroy the earth again.
1: Right there, right there, he had the opportunity. 100% because
0: they were all together, which he could have done. Even he had the opportunity to
1: send, you know, um, lightnings to bring an earthquake. To you know to bring the, the tower down. But look at what, what he did. See, he did the, the, the opposite of what they want, they wanted to stay, they want to stay together. See, see God knows hearts, the, the hearts of the people. He yeah. discerned the intentions of the way people think. So he said, and but the Lord came down and look at the city and the tower that the people were it. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language after this nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them god knew yeah god knew that these people there was nothing in the earth that would stop them
0: look at the potential he sees in humanity uh, see, that's powerful no, yeah. that's what
1: we have to understand that's, awesome. that's what we have to understand that when god created men in yeah. his image that's good he put a potential right to he, be, he, yeah. he when God when God sees us doesn't see Samuel a young man, He sees Jesus. He sees the potential, the plan, the
0: design that He has for you. Now He sees Jesus, yes. right? Because again, we're talking about a historical period It is the Jesus, same pattern. Yes, and that's, that, uh, that's we, the key. Yeah. We,
1: we have to see the same pattern because God is the same yesterday,
0: today, and forever. And it's crazy because that that's a perfect segue into you know we maybe if you've been in faith you've heard that the same god of yesterday today and forever and that's a perfect transition into the next topic that we're talking about because again the context in which abraham steps onto the scene is that remember god's plan with humanity is not one to destroy him anymore he's he has a bigger purpose he wants to reintroduce himself to us he wants to return back to the original covenant the same symbol and promise that he made even back in Genesis chapter 1, which is the evidence of his original covenant with Adam and Eve, with man. But essentially what happens is we see that, you know, if you read chapter 11, obviously it's describing the story of Babel. But then after that, it describes another chronological order. There's a little bit of a historical description you know it says this is the account of Shem I'm reading chapter 11 verse 10 this is the account of Shem two years after the flood when Shem was a hundred years old he became the father of axfrad and after he became the father of axfrad Shem lived 500 years and had other sons and daughters so it's interesting because here in this context they choose to skip over the other sons because In that time, really, the only son that mattered was the firstborn son because through him is where the most popular lineage or, you know, we see this interesting pattern in which whenever there's a set of brothers, whenever there's a set of family members, there's always an elected one. This whole concept of election, this pattern of election, God continues to model it time and time and time again. Um, Noah had no brothers. He lived in isolation but Noah had three sons and if you go back I know we glanced over it but if you read the story in chapter nine there's a very specific scene in chapter nine where it says that Noah had a, a weird encounter with his sons but in that encounter with his sons one of them specifically in this case it was the the one who was more evil out of all of them in these three sons was Cam who eventually came to be the leader of the canaanites you know he has a bad encounter with his dad but out of the three brothers only one of them chooses to do the wrong thing and he is cursed as opposed to his brothers but then again we see another similar pattern here from shem we're only getting the first account of his son because in this case, we continue to see the pattern of election, right? And it continues to describe a bunch of different names. It goes Shelah, it goes to Eber, then it goes to Peleg, then it goes to Reu, then it goes to Nahor, then from Nahor it goes to Terah. And that's where we get introduced to the man, the myth, the legend, who had three brothers, Similar to Noah, who had three sons, Abraham's father, Terah, had three sons. I'm reading verse 26 of chapter 11. It says, after Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Remember, We've heard probably these names thrown out there. If you've heard Abram, if you've heard Lot, they should be starting to click. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. So now we're introduced to sort of this lineage, right? We're introduced to the brother of Abram who is known as Haran and we're introduced to his son, Lot. And we're described from where their region, they're from Ur of the Chaldeans. So now we're getting a little bit of context. We're getting a specific geographical location of this family. We're getting introduced to this election process that we're starting to see recounted in these verses. And it says the following. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. That one should click for you guys. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milka. She was the daughter of Haran the father of both Milka and Iska. Now, right there, we can glance over that because if we read it in detail, that's basically incest. But of course, you know, during those times, it it was not that many humans on the earth to begin with. So there we again see the separation now become even more defined. Of the three brothers, Haran passes away. And Nahor has a wife who technically is illegitimate because it's his sister. So we see that God is kind of left with only one option. In this case, he's left with who? Abram, right? And so we see and we're introduced to Abram and to his wife, Sarai. And it says in verse 31, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of his son, Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. There we get to see the introduction of Abram, this character. Mind you, at the beginning of this podcast, I introduced him as Abraham. But yet here, why, why is there no ham with his name? Did he not like pork or what's the joke here? Why, why doesn't he have ham at the end of his name, right? We'll get into that. We'll discover why. And it's actually very important why. But I don't know. Do you have anything to add on that sort of little jump that we made from the story of Babel into we now see the clear lineage of Abraham? And now we see, again, this process of election, out of the process, the genealogy basically only leaves one person, Abraham, existing in Haran, along with Sarai, and along with Lot.
1: So once again, we see the pattern of God working through families, because that's that for God is is that's His pattern. Remember that He He is the invisible God is a spirit, so. He, he, he wants to do it a visualize of what re, he really God is and he's, he's working through a family now I want I want to uh, mention something uh, that I have in my notes and I know that uh, that's when we start seeing when God start calling Abraham to, to, to this big journey of faith and and if you read uh, if we're going to read uh, chapter uh, 12. Uh, that's when when God calls abram to uh, to 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 walk with him and one other thing is that see A- A- Abraham have to he have to do something to fulfill God's calling and that's what we can see clearly right there I don't, and, and then that's what it said in um, in verse uh, verse 1 chapter 12 it said right there that The Lord has said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. See, right there, God is giving destruction to Abraham. Leave your relatives.
0: Why God was telling Abraham, leave your relatives. He had a reason. I think that the reason why, and you know, I was diving into this in, in my study too. I was asking myself, why Abraham? You know, why why what is this concept of election? Like why was he unique to only one specific way? But I think it it, it goes back to that because in this whole concept of election, we really see that the Bible, the way it views human life is in terms of relationships. Like, human life is a mutual relationship from the moment that it is created. He sees man and he says, it was not good for man to be alone. So he creates what? He creates the woman. That's a relationship. That's, if anything, that's the most fundamental relationship that can exist between man and woman. Then, of course, man and woman extends to what? Parent to child. Then parent and child extends to what? To families. Families then extend to what? To clans, then to nations, right? And it's funny because even in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, look at what it says. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country and your people and your father's house and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will make you into a great nation, one nation. But now we see that this nation was being created by God, whereas previously they attempted to create it on their own.
1: Themselves. Themselves. Yes.
0: And look at what it says, verse 3. This is the pivot. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I actually don't like what the NIV says. (laughs) because it's more important. uh, I'll read it in Spanish, actually, what it says. Versículo 3. Bendeciré a los que te bendigan y maldeciré a los que te maldigan. Por medio de ti serán bendecidas todas las familias de la tierra, all the families of the earth. So even there we see God, the major Godhead, reestablishing something that he did with Noah, the covenant. Chapter 12, verse 3 is Abraham's and God's covenant because he says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. But through you, I will bless all the families of the earth. There we see why this process of election is is involved because really it's not God's plan for only one family to be saved, but rather that all the families of the earth may be saved and that really they're not designed to be part to, to go about it alone but rather that salvation and that redemption cannot be achieved through individual means but rather it must be achieved salvation through humanity because that's his ultimate plan he wants us to save humanity right and i think that that's why he chooses to make such a pivot on that that although abram was chosen and elected as an individual, the covenant that God made with him was not exclusively for him. The covenant, it was not individual in the
1: sense that he was the only one uh, that was was going to be blessed. It was through him. Through Through him. Through him that he was going to bless the family, but he had to go through a process. Right. And one of the things we see in, uh, um, uh, going back to chapter 11, verse, verse 31, that his father, see, his father took them. So, his father's intention was to move them from, from where they live to Canaan.
0: So, right there, we start seeing something that was moving. Because, interestingly enough, we skipped over something very important, verse 30, where it says that Sarai was barren. She had no children. No children. And this was Abram's wife. Yes. So, Tara, the father, you know, we're touching on what yeah. his intention was. Yeah. He was like, I'm just trying to make a, a, fa- a life for yes. my family because he has no descendants. And, and
1: I want to tell you something as as from, from a father perspective. Okay. And I know, you know, uh, fathers are going to be listening. We all, we as father, we want the best for our children. And I can see right there, see that, that the father of Abraham, he was moving them to a different land. We can say for a different future, but look at what happened. See, because we have to understand this: that even, even in the middle of what was going on, God had a purpose, and 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 you see, and and so it says that he he was headed from the land of Canaan. So he the direction it was go to Canaan, but they stopped at at Haran. Yes, and settled there. Terah lived. 205 years and die he die is still inherent so what does it mean so it means that his father had to die but god had a purpose with abraham see sometimes we, we, if we can bring into 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 what we can say sometimes see our parents have a limit your your parent can take you just a certain place. It doesn't mean that God is over with you with you with your life. Right. And and we see right here that it, it, it has to happen that. So God had to move Abraham. Say, you're not gonna stay here. I have a plan for you. You need to move forward. And sometimes that's that's what happens. So we see that the 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 father of Abraham, Tara, his his name, it means. Transition, Torah, Torah. Wow. That's 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 in Hebrew. His his name. It means transition, mm. season. Wow. So God will use seasons through transitioning you right. from right. one place to another place, and and maybe you you might be stuck. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say something to you. Just wait. The Lord is gonna is gonna bring you that transition. Is mo transition to to accomplish his plan over your life,
0: and it's crazy because, you know, there we see the introduction of a of a new biblical pattern that is so crucial to the whole narrative, which is that God is truly introducing this concept to humanity of dependency. Yes, yes, that yes. the relationship this this it, it's so pivotal. Why why does God choose to focus on that, right? Because, you know, other religious systems might promote connecting to the divine individually, like direct bridge, right? But the biblical narrative for salvation always comes through relationship. It, it, it's, it's always through relationship, right? Even when we're taught, when, when the disciples ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. What what is that? What is that indicating to us? A kingdom. A kingdom is one of all of us together. It's and it says, you know, the the God's prayer. Our Father says, "Give us now our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil." Again. This is not saying, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread and also forgive my sins and do not lead me into temptation and deliver me. No, it says us. Why would Jesus himself, the fulfillment of everything that we've laid here, the covenant of God, choose to teach his disciples to pray in an us, that's because when we choose to accept salvation, we're choosing to trust in God by participating in this community, this community of forgiveness who is willing to surrender. And that's ultimately this pattern of relationships that God tries to establish, you know, that he tells Abraham and that he says, I will be with you and I will make you a great nation, a group of people he said, "I will make you a community of people, a nation. I'm not going to make you an individual. I'm going to make a nation.
1: That's powerful. A blessed community.
0: A community. A community
1: is blessed. According to the, to the Jewish tradition, um, he, uh, Tare, it was he was a, a bad person. Really? It was, yeah, he was a wicked. Wow. Uh, uh, his profession, he used to uh, fabricate uh, idols. Interesting. That's that's the uh, according to the history. So, so God have to deal with Abraham's father too, right? So he, he he told them you need to get out of your 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 relatives' land. Why? Because in in Abraham's heart, in Abraham's mind, he have to
0: get rid of the, all those things in, in order to to move on. Now he was developing that pattern. He was he he literally commands him. You know. I think that command in chapter 12 is so important, verse 1, because he tells him, leave your country, your people, and your father's house. He's telling Abraham a very specific command, which is contradicting what we're talking about. We're saying God is trying to create a community. God's now telling him, I need you to leave that community. But it's for a very specific reason because you just mentioned something that I didn't know Why? that Torah made idols. Why? Yeah, that's what was, that
1: that was one thing.
0: He his he, context where he was in was not going to be yeah, the no. one. Now, that would help.
1: now with. the community, the Chaldeans. Okay. Oh, the wow. Chaldeans, yeah. the tribe. It was the the se, se, uh, In Spanish, is uh, la tribu semita,
0: which again comes from the three sons of Noah: yeah. Shem, Semai, and Japheth. Yeah. So they were known. See this this tribe the 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 uh, Chaldeans
1: they were known because they liked to study astrology wow and also they they would like to study mathematics and they they always everything they attribute to the god of the moon wow so they were very very connected to the spiritual realm just in a way In a more different context. So so that's why you see God is telling Abraham, you need to get out of there. I don't want you there. So can you imagine? So that's why we we see that
0: sometimes God will move us. He knew that he need to, again, we see him create a way, an introduction of a beautiful pattern. The pattern of having to say, you know what? I need to mark you. I need to set you apart. I need to physically move you. I need to bring you from point A because I really want to take you to point B. He starts to introduce this pattern. And again, we read and we know what it says. And I think it's so this this is really what caught my attention, right? I didn't really know that background of the Chaldeans, but it makes sense because coming from the background of the sons of Noah and if they stem from all of that, of course they were filled with corruption, but how crazy is it to me like Take a moment right and zoom out for a second. You're Abraham. Abraham, right? You're of a certain age, your wife is barren. Then all of a sudden, you grew up in this culture of Chaldeans where they worshiped astrology, studied the moon and things like that. Then all of a sudden, he hears the audible voice of God. <laughs> so can you imagine? Can you imagine how
1: impactful it was from Abraham to hear him- God boys because we have we have to we also have to uh understand that these people were practitioners of black and uh, black, uh, black and white uh, witchcraft black, black magic magic yeah and they were they would they will give people talismans mm. this is very common in the, in the latin
0: culture yeah if they, you they, know about like santeria and stuff like that they were guru even yeah they were experts and these type of things. That's crazy. So they—they they And would, I'm assuming all of this knowledge, as we spoke about, was transferred onto them by these divine celestial beings, which is, it's funny. I, I, we could take a tangent there, right? Because it, it, Greek mythology, Egyptian mythology, yes. we, we hear of all these polytheistic yes. cultures where they believe in many gods. Of course, it makes sense, because if we believe that it says that the sons of God... Think about it. Anything coming down from heaven, if what we're living in a time where there was no iPhones, again, we're going back to this. These are prehistoric times. So for someone to see an angel come down from the skies, of course, they were like, oh, snap, this is a god. This is something crazy. And, you know, interestingly enough, how we see the patterns of other cultures unfold to worship, you know, these pagan gods because that pattern doesn't go away. Let's keep that in mind, right? The Chaldeans worshipped the moon. They worshipped idols. But the concept of worshipping false idols stayed with all the generations that we eventually heard about with the ones who David fought, the ones who Saul fought, the Philistines, the Ammonites, the Canaanites. They all had their own gods, right? And we could see where, you know, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself, maybe you who are listening, where do all these super? Where do so many religions come from? You yeah. know, sometimes you can ask yourself that, but I think it's interesting to see how we can kind of see the parallels here. You know, God revealing Himself as one God, as opposed to so many other cultures around having these monotheistic approaches. It's crazy,
1: and and you you have to you have to uh, um, account that they were practitioners. Of 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 the sp- spiritualism, they could engage with it. Yeah, yeah they, they 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 were so engaged. Now, the, the, I, I one of the things that I was uh, got my attention in the Spanish uh, version of Genesis twelve, it says that Pero jehovah había dicho. So God already told Abraham before. He he, he it was not the first account. It was he. It says once God. Remind him, say, hey, where you. is that? Right there. In my Spanish uh, version is uh, verse one, uh, chapter 12. Dice, pero Jehová había dicho Abraham, vete de tu tierra y de tu parentela. If you if you read uh, Acts 7, 2 and 3, you will see that uh, according to, to the historians, it said that Abraham was saved by God. And one, and one of the things with Nimrod, because Nero, you know, is part of the story.
0: What was it? Acts chapter what?
1: Uh, Acts uh, chapter seven, two and three. It, 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 they they re- recalling the history of Abraham because it, the, according to to the uh, to the history, Abraham was saved by, by God in one occasion when he was destroying the idols in in, in the times of Nero. So that's when he experienced God. You have to, you have to experience God in a mighty way. That's when we see in chapter twelve, verse one, that He's, He's, He's in the second time He said, "Hey, you need to get out of there. That's not, that's a, this is not a good place for you to be there. Right. I have something better for you." And so that's why we see the pattern of God moving. God is now, God is is
0: is, is talking to Abraham, and he have to choose to obey, to listen. He had to choose. He had to choose. But, you know, and that's crazy because, again, we, we see God introduced this model of putting the ball in humanity's court because he calls him. He says, uh, look, this is my promise. But now he says it's up to you to trust yes. Him, yes. whether or not he's going to do it. Abraham, to a certain extent, does it. Right. He goes out. He leaves. You know, he takes lot with him. And it says, you know, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He's already an old man. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there, right? And basically, look at what it says. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land, So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. There we see Abraham start to to enter into this model of where he needs to trust God. The first thing he tells him, he first tells him, I need you to leave your country, leave your people and your father's house and go to the land I will show you. That's the first challenge where Abraham needs to learn to trust him. What do we call trust in God? In the 21st century. What do we call that? Trust in God. Yeah. What is that called? Faith. Exactly. You know, there we see the introduction as to why Abraham is regarded as the father father, of faith because he literally needs to introduce what it means to trust God, right? And so he does it. He leaves, follows him. Then God blesses him again. He says, I will now give you this land, Canaan, the land of your enemies. Because as we talked about, Canaan is descending from a lineage that eventually was always in conflict, always, always, always in conflict with the people of Israel. Again, Abraham trusts God and chooses to do an act of worship. He chooses to build an altar. So now he flips his posture. If we know that he knew how to build an altar, if not, you know, if they had have never been practitioners of these. Dark ways of worshiping the moon gods. He would have never known what an altar was. So
1: he saw. He learned. Yes. He said, "These people, they build an altar and they bring sacrifice to the spirits. Now, I have. I'm gonna build an altar and I'm gonna bring what sacrifice. And 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 one of the things that it grabbed my attention, and, and I hope um, the listener will understand that it have. It tenía que pasarle algo Abraham something had to happen to abraham his dad died sometime in life we have to we, we things have to die in our
0: life in order to move on his name itself in hebrew means transition Transition. you need to allow yourself to go through a transition yes yeah. you, can,
1: god, you see god is going to wait for you he will talk to you it, it, there is God talks talks in a different way he talks to to to, to through dreams to visions, to the creations and one of the things he, he he talks is through his word but it's up to us to obey. it's up to us if we believe what he's saying and that's why sometimes I feel Samuel that people are listening right now especially especially in the time we living there they feel so stuck. Because there is some, we see problems, we see circumstances negative, but we have to let God deal with those stuff. Because you're not gonna, you, God is not gonna take you to the next level if you don't really recognize that the thing is holding you is totally death.
0: And even I, I think we can take it one step further. Yeah, we can speculate, you know, because obviously there's no evidence as to whether or not the de- the death of his father, really impacted him. That's a good speculation, but I also think that that it was his time in the desert it was his time in journey it was his time because if you if you read the story right in chapter 12 verse 10 it tells us now there was a famine in the land so abraham was existing in this context he had no one he had sarai he had lot he had his possessions but other than that they were in the middle of a famine and you know what does that lead him to do it leads him to say that he needs to go to Egypt. He needs to go and return to a, to a land of oppression, of a land where he knows his enemies existed, where he knows they were practicing these patterns, where they were existing in this level of idolatry, if you want to call it. But I think, you know, to go to your, to touch on your point of transitioning, it was in that where we see Abraham fails. To trust God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He gets sh- he gets shaken. He gets tested. In this story, we know what happens. He's faced with the famine. You know, he's built two altars to God now at this point, right? If you go and read the verses, when God blesses him and tells him in Canaan, this will be the, where the land I'll give your offspring, he builds an altar. But then he goes and it says that from there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. Right? And so it's, he's in the desert, essentially. He's, he's, and what a beautiful pattern it appears eventually for the people when they get you know brought out in Exodus with Moses and yeah. how they're brought out. We see, again, God dealing in this pattern where he chooses a people but then makes them undergo a process. And look at part of the process and where Abraham starts to sort of fall, where everyone regards him as the father of faith. But check this out. Abraham, God had made Abraham a promise. He said, through you and your descendants, I will bless the nations. But look at what happens as, as Abraham is entering into Egypt, you know, this city that is already more advanced, already more developed. He said to his wife, Sarai, I'm reading verse 11 from chapter 12. I know What a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. (laughs) Can you imagine that? (laughs) How dumb is that? (laughs) How dumb is that? Think about it. He's, He's telling them like, yo, my wife is super smoking hot, like, I'm old, I'm 75 years old, they're not going to believe that she's my wife. You know, imagine that. Like, you think about it in modern context, you're like, oh, this guy's silly. But if you think about it in the context of the time, he was scared. He
1: was. Definitely he was.
0: We see the same pattern of Genesis 3 introduce the fall of man. Because what does he do? He tries to do what is good in his eyes. Yes. Because he says that way, that for your sake... My life will be spared because of you. He thought it was good. He thought what was good in his own eyes. We see the fear come in. And fear and faith are opposite to each yes. other. You can't have faith with fear. So we see the father of faith be afraid. But then look at what happens, right? Exactly what Abraham, Abraham thought happened. The Egyptians saw that she was beautiful. And what do they do? They bring her to the presence of Pharaoh, right? Right. And look at what happens. Basically, Abram gives his wife to the Pharaoh in exchange for what? It says, verse 15, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, I'm reading chapter 12, verse 15, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle Male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants, and camels. Chapter se- verse seventeen, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his <laughs> household because of Abraham's wife Sarai. We see another pattern. Wow! Can you imagine? God have to go down <laughs> and do something because of the co- covenant He to, made to with cover, them to uh, cover to cover Abraham's back, Abraham, back. because He made a promise with him. He told him, whoever blesses you, I will make, they will be blessed. But those who curse you, then they will be cursed. And of course he's going to curse them. The Pharaoh is taking Abraham's wife. Obviously, you don't need to read too much in between the lines. You can tell what that means, some level of consummation of whatever. So it's sin. It's not, it's not a clean act. And so God needs to uphold justice because his covenant was those who curse you, I will curse, and how does he curse them? He gives them these plagues. Now
1: you want to see something something uh, powerful right there. God' covenant with Abraham was that through his descendants was going to bless the families of the earth. What was going to happen if Pharaoh get close to Sarai?
0: Yeah, she was. It was going to be bad for Pharaoh. It was going to be bad for him. And he said, you know what? I need to stop that. So he curses them, and he gives them this plague. And look at what happens. But the Lord inflicted serious Mm -hmm. diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? There we see the evidence of the iniquity. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pattern. For when later on... Ah, oh, this is crazy. Look at that. We see God sending plagues... And Pharaoh having to let something go. Yes. We see that pattern repeated later on with the big Moses. And when he comes in and he starts to give Pharaoh all these plagues, I'm sure you've heard the Bible story. And eventually what? He lets his people go. Yep. Yep. We see the pattern. We see this process of election. God is so crafty. He does it again and again and again. Then he says, then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Boom.
1: And you have to remember there was a
0: famine right there. Yeah. So they were, they literally look at that, right? He, God fulfilling his covenant, I will bless those who bless you. Yes. They were blessed because now he received the things that he needed. He had cattle, he had sheep, yes. he had what he needed in the yes. famine. God provided for him. Yes. And then he kicks them out. But you see God's plan at work still. And we see God's plan at work still, even it's extended. You know, you can go and read the stories of what happens. Um, you know, eventually Abraham goes and continues. He has with his son, you know, not with his son, but with, with his the nephew. nephew, Lot. Lot and, you yeah. know, he sends him out to expand his territory and, you know, to go out and do him. They were so blessed. Yeah, they were so blessed that Abraham didn't know what to do.
1: And also, if, if we can see the, the scripture, but you don't have time to go over, but uh, his, his nephew was so blessed too. 100%. Being next to his uncle.
0: Yeah, just close proximity well,
1: yeah. that means that the blessing, the blessing that you receive from God, can reach your, your your relatives around, if if we if we can say that, because right there we see Lot, it was so blessed that it was it was uh, and the moment that Abraham said, you know what, choose, right or left, whatever you choose, I take the opposite, and we see that Lot choose to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. That's a that's that, a whole oh, other story. That's, yeah. a, that's a big Damn. one. That's a that, that I don't want to go there because that, <laughs> that that's a very, very uh, big one, especially when the when the people were so corrupted in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And how how God destroyed those
0: two cities yeah. with fire. Yeah, it was a whole different it's it's a deep biblical narrative that has its own profound truths. Maybe on like another episode where we have like spontaneous just maybe a q a or like you know when we have a little bit more time to dive into it but for the sake of the narrative you know let's move forward because all of that happens right but then god renews his covenant with abraham his initial covenant was what that through you all of the earth shall be blessed all of the families of the earth shall be blessed but in chapter 15 we're presented with the situation remember what we read earlier that sarah was barren She had no kids. So look at this. We're reading in chapter 15, right? God reveals himself to Abraham Abraham again and says, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus. I know we know about Damascus. Huh. Interesting little tidbit there. Anyways. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Right there, we see him returning to faith. We see him reestablishing faith. Verse 7, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. In other words, I am the Lord who brought you out of your wicked ways. That's the only reason why they mention Ur of the Chaldeans to give the geographical significance of what it represented to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, "O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it?" So the Lord said to him, "Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each 3 years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon." Look at the look at the animals that he chooses to ask extremely symbolic if we're ever to dive into an episode full of symbolism, but the whole concept of meaning to add a dove, adding a goat and adding a ram that's signif- signifying the old pattern of atonement, that there need to be made a sacrificial, a pure sacrifice in order for it to be redeemed. And so look at what it says, verse 10, chapter 15. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. What a significant moment. The birds, then birds of prey, came down to the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Right there, again, we see such a symbolic moment, Abraham taking a stand, Abraham standing, Abraham committing basically sacrifice, presenting himself as a sacrifice. And verse 12 says, as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated for hundred years, 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measures. So the Lord re- reiterates his promise right there. He reiterates it. He reestablishes he reestablish. it. He reestablishes. And he reestablishes it, but again, with a new condition. Yes, We saw the same thing that he did with Noah. He said, I will not destroy the earth again, but you will no longer shed blood. So there needs to be a price paid for the mistake made. What a beautiful pattern. Yeah. Because we see that model eventually executed And we see what is known as, you know, they talk about it as the consumption in Jesus. Jesus came and consumed. He was the final official atonement. He changed the model of sacrificial atonement because he was the eternal lamb of God. He came in basically all of that, that he was doing that promise of you get saved and then you need to be redeemed because of that sin. We see this pattern introduced. We know that Abraham falls and then must be restored. His covenant must be renewed, and it is then renewed with a certain condition. And that condition was what? That they would have to pay a price, that they would essentially have to, for 400 years, be enslaved.
1: And that was pretty much what would happen with the people of Israel when they were in Egypt. For 400 years, they were a slave in captivity and once again, God delivered them through through the hand of Moses. Right. So that that so so one of the things is that He made a covenant with him. Yes, and but God, He had not yet fulfilled the covenant. Yeah, no. So, but God always, he was telling their people what was going to come in the future. So for God, it was not surprised what what Israel went through. He already knew. Right. And that's why you have to have confidence. But what we live in now, God knows what is happening. Right. God already have promised us that you know, he's going to be until the end with us. And that's the, the assurance we need to have by faith, that whatever is happening in the world, God is with us. Emmanuel is with us. When, 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 when the angel told Mary... You know, you're going to call the, the, your child Emmanuel. That means God is with us because he has a purpose. He has a plan. We have seen it in the life of Paul. We have seen it in the life of, of, of David. We have seen it in the life of Solomon. We've seen it in Abraham. We've seen it in Adam and Eve. This is the, the, the redemptive pattern that God does with humanity.
0: Right. You know, and it's crazy because... God reintroduces himself to Abraham as a shield. He says, I am your shield, your very great reward. God's relationship with man that he was trying to create was such one of a relationship. You know, we again see God and even in that poetic way that he describes himself, I am your shield. Why, he, why God told Abraham that was his shield?
1: Because he knew that he was going to face enemies. He was preparing the heart of Abraham what was going to come in the future, what was going to come. He said, I'm going to be your shield. Yeah. What do you need a shield? To sleep? No. You need a shield to, to
0: what? protect yourself. To protect yourself against who? Against any enemy. Any enemy. And, and he promised him his reward. He said, I am your reward. Yes. There we see God introduce himself to his people as I am, You know, which is one of the many names of God. And we, in, he introduces that aspect of himself to God and how he reveals himself. But yet, funnily enough, you know, God reveals himself to Abraham in this darkness. You know, it says in this sleep when he fell over him. And you would think, oh, Abraham woke up and boom, he was ready to go. And he was filled with faith and he was going to go and he was going to conquer all of this, and he was going to essentially fulfill the prophecy. And, right? That's what we would think would happen. Yeah. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. <laughs> what we see happen in chapter 16. Chapter 16, Of Genesis yes. is, honestly, I was talking about this off podcast. It's the exact shadow of Genesis 3. Yeah. We see um a pattern that we developed when basically Eve says that she took what was good in her eyes Mm -hmm. and offered it to Adam. And because of that, he fell into sin. Well, we get a similar story here. Remember when we were introduced to Sarai, Abraham's wife, right? And we pick it up in verse 16, chapter 1, where it says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. Do you know what the name Hagar means in Hebrew? What does she mean? Immigrant.
1: Mm. <laughs> wow.
0: Powerful, huh? Wow. Right? A foreigner. Some, someone not from this place, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she said to Abram, verse 2, The Lord has kept me from having children. Which I don't think that's a true statement. There we see an introduction of her own opinion, right? She says, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maid servant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Right there, you see the the little little... The shadow of Genesis 3, it says, Sarai, his wife, took and gave. If you go and read Genesis chapter 3, it says, Eve took and gave. Uh, Literally, you cannot make this up. How how, The same pattern repeats itself, you know? You would think, oh, man, Abraham has seen all of these things. Now he's going to be good. But we see that he's not. He allows himself to be influenced and, you know, It says, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. This is, um, in this case, Hagar despising Sarai. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Look at that. Look at how how dark that gets. You know, it's funny because this model, we see Sarai now then oppressing Hagar to the point where she must flee. It's so interesting how then eventually the people of Israel, the roles flip on them. Egypt, the country of Egypt, becomes the ones who oppress the nation of Israel. You know, and the roles become flipped. Even though here we see that the first perpetuators of evil, or the first people who took matters into their own hands and sinned, were Abraham and Sar- Sarai. You know, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add on that. Well, that that was so so sad. So sad. If you can see, it was a sad story
1: because I mean, Chito, that was doing a a, a favor. He was, she was helping God <laughs> with the with with the purpose. But look at what happened. You know. Um, she got pregnant, and now she Sarah is uh, treating Hagar so bad that she have to leave. And um, uh, and we see that you know h- how was God's reaction for all this?
0: We see in in chapter in verse seven, He instead you'd think, you know, oh, God's people, He made a covenant with Abraham with Sarah that those who curse you will be cursed, mm-hmm. that those who bless you will be blessed. But now we see that the tides have turned. Abraham and Sarah have cursed another, Yes. have afflicted another. So look at what happens. Hagar flees and an angel mm-hmm. of the Lord appears to her and says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers." Right there, we see now that because of Abraham's iniquity, because of his disobedience, the family is now cast into this forever and perpetual conflict, right? This was the first son of Abraham. remember this. He is the firstborn son. In other words, he is the one that is the most beloved. He should be the most esteemed, his uh, all of Abraham's inheritance. In, in that it, time, it, it, belonged it, 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 it belonged to, Ish- to it,
1: it according to to the uh, to the law according to to the uh, inheritance right. Right, Ishmael was the first son of Abraham. He have to receive everything, and that's that's what the big conflict they have in the Middle East right now.
0: Right, and it's and not even in the Middle East, but we see what it says right there. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Literally, all his brothers, you don't even need to do that much of a math calculation. We know that Abram eventually has more kids. So who is against his brothers? This same guy right here. This is where we see all these lineages of people of tribes. Because the promise was that they too, the descendants of them will be numerous to count. So in the same way that God made a pact and a covenant with Abraham to multiply him, he did the same thing for Hagar because of Abraham's disobedience. He flips it on him. He blesses instead of cursing. Right there, that introduces such a powerful concept because we're talking about election and we're talking about how God chooses to elect certain people to bring justice. But here we see an, inter- an interesting concept. That God's plan really actually is to bless all of humanity. Because instead of cursing um, Hagar, he blesses her. And instead of killing off the generation, he gives them a very unique assignment, which is that they will forever be in conflict with their brothers. They'll never resolve that peaceful conflict. They'll never find peace. And essentially, Hagar goes on, has her son. Ishmael is born. And... That's essentially what happens. This this whole lineage is created, but it's an illegitimate lineage. It's one that doesn't fulfill the covenant of God because of the nature of the iniquity of how Abraham didn't trust God. He tried to take matters into his own hands, and that's what ultimately led to him not being able to develop that.
1: And that's what we see if we can bring it into modern days. That's that's the uh, that's when we have the uh, Jewish. And then we have the uh, Muslim people and we have now the Christianity that, you know, through faith, we are the the descendants, the families of Abraham. So that's right there. You have the three major
0: religions, if we can say, in the entire world. I actually looked that up and it's interesting because Ishmael, he goes on to have 12 sons who are all princes. And, yeah, you know, you can speculate, right, that. Well, you can't speculate. It's obviously verified facts that eventually, you know, where does Islam uh, strain from? Of course, you can trace it all the way back to that. But it's more through those lineages of people who are always in constant conflict with the Hebrew people. Like, they're always in conflict and they're always in these warring tribes. Eventually, when the tribes split up and, you know, all of these kingdoms that are existing... The kingdoms that are stemming from those 12 princes all eventually are the ones who become the enemies of the Israelites. this is where the Philistines come from this is where the Assyrians come from this is where the Moabites come from all of these enemies of the Israel people. you
1: know when I was in Israel um, I remember uh, because we were um, driving with the, you know the tourists I remember the uh, guy used to tell us you know that 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 um as a colonia that you know that that part that city is it's um Muslim people in Israel yeah and if you go to the city of city of Jerusalem there is like a like a wall like a um comuna muralla that is separates from the Palestine to to the Israel so they lived they you know, live together, but they always, you know, they they fight.ing they I mean, they they cannot get along because we see all this, you know, from the beginning. And we right there we see it in Genesis establishing all these conflicts that we see,
0: right? And eventually, you know, we see that what is the consequence for this action? What is the the price that needs to be paid? Right? Because again, when He's a shadow for this, for the Adamic concept of election and God chooses to elect him, you know. And although they fall into the same pattern and they repeat the sin of Adam and Eve, and of course, you know, the result of that is a tragedy. And the whole nature and the whole plot line of Ishmael is one that is dark. It's not, it's not a good story that ends up happening. But what does God choose to do? He chooses to stay true to his covenant.
1: Yes, because, that's correct.
0: Because he made yeah. a promise with Abraham and he told them, it will be through you, but it's not, I cannot bless this illegitimate act that you have done. You know, in the same way, it's kind of interesting that we see a double pattern repeated because what does God do to Adam and Eve? It says he casts them out of the garden. He doesn't kill them, but rather he just simply casts them out. And what does God do with Abraham? He doesn't kill him but instead he flips it he says he continues to bless him but with a condition he appears to him in verse in chapter 17 he says i am god almighty walk before me and be blameless i will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers he introduces himself now as god almighty the first introduction to God in this specific, you know, this connotation. In Hebrew, Almighty is El Shaddai. El Shaddai, yes. You know, one of the most powerful names of God. So Abraham, God now introduces himself to Abraham as El Shaddai, right? And he, and look at what Abraham's reaction is. It's a, it's a he says, Abraham fell face down. He, he fell to his face, what is that an indication? That's an indication of a sign of recognition, uh, a posture of recognizing the error of your ways. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I I have made you a father of many nations is what he tells him. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. For the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you for the generations to come. Every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner. Those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant.
1: And you know, um, in Israel, they practice that still. Yes, they practice that. That we see right there. We see the uh, the what they call the uh, circumcision, and and yeah. that's very, very, very deep, very strong in the Jewish culture. The circumcision.
0: Because in this case, they choose to continue to uphold that pattern and they choose to uphold this Abrahamic covenant, which is interesting because, you know, we talked about how when God marked the covenant that he made with Noah, he marked it with the rainbow. And he marked in saying that any time that I see this sign, it will be a reminder to me of my covenant. Here, he tells him the same thing. He makes an everlasting commitment with them. He says, my covenant, I'm reading verse 13, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. So there again, now we see the same pattern. God chooses to essentially redeem mankind By offering this extension, by offering this pact that anyone who chooses to believe and to come from your lineage, whether they're bought or not, as long as they uphold this, then they are okay. See, now that's when you see God grace. Yes, he starts to now extend. His scope zooms out. It's like, whatever
1: it comes and do this,
0: they will be accepted. Yes, and it's interesting because we're obviously not talking about literal physical circumcision yes. in the 21st century for those of you guys listening it's not like we're walking around here with knives cutting yeah. people up no. that's not what we're doing no no we're no we're not trying to catch a case but what it is indicating to us is that god made that available
1: yes the ability ability
0: Because later on, Paul in his gospel talks about this specific topic of circumcision. He he went
1: straight. He was very deep on that, of the circumcision made of, of, you know, uh, with the hand or the the circumcision of the heart. Yes. Because the problem is is not the the external. Yeah. The problem is internal.
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't need the physical one necessarily, no, no, but no. it's all about the position. Yeah. And, yeah. and
1: one other thing you have to, we have to really kind of like point it out is that that's when
0: uh, uh, Abraham was. His name was changed. Yes, because in Hebrew, you know, his original name was Abram, but then he tells him and you will be the father of a multitude yes. the word multitude in hebrew is um, hamon 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 yeah. that's why i yeah. said the joke earlier about the ham because but i mean hamon not with the j yeah. with an h because we then see the termination h a m added onto abram he's now abraham of multitudes and for jewish
1: culture uh, the name is very very important it's crucial. When 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 you see Jewish culture, they really take a big a big thing to put the name of their sons. And that's why you see God changing the name to Abraham. And then also in verse uh, fifteen said then God said to Abraham, Regarding Sarai, yes. your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and I and give you a son from hers. Yes, I will bless her rich, richly and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Right there. Look, at, remember, she couldn't have child. Correct. She was barren.
0: Now he flipped it. She, he flipped it.
1: He said, Ch- the oh, name. "I will change your name. Your name. So that's why sometimes we, when God's gonna do something in your life, He will change your name, in the sense that if we can, if we can put it this way, when you become a, a USA citizen, you have the opportunity to change your name. I should call uh, Robert Waltz. <laughs> <laughs> Just say whatever name you want. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, it's it. That's when he says, you know, it, and now she's gonna give you something. So he wait, he said, now you guys messed it up, but now I have to do what I, what it needs to be done.
0: It's funny because look, even though God renews his covenant with man, look at what it says in essentially verse, you know, 16 or 17, Abraham fell face down again, this posture of falling face down, but look it, it says he laughed And said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, look at him in his ways. Even though he had just gotten his name changed, even though he had just gotten blessed, he laughs. He's like, bro, you're tripping. That's not going to happen. And look at what he tells him. If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Look at that. We see that Abraham still loved his son, even though of the whole conflict that was going on, he wanted to bless him. He It was in the nature of Abraham. It was his desire. But then look at verse 19. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac, right which there. means laughter. He gave him the name of the son right there. Yeah.
1: So he said, it's not, "It's not, it's not, you guys not gonna do it the way you have done it before. No. She's gonna give you a son, and you're gonna name him Isaac." Yeah,
0: because you know the irony. He says, "Ha, you're gonna laugh. I'm gonna give you a son whose name like, literally is laugh." You're gonna,
1: you're laughing. I'm gonna leave,
0: give you a laugher. Yeah. <laughs> in in Hebrew, literally, Isaac means he laughs. Yeah. So it's like you know. He says, oh, you think you're funny? No, I'm really I am. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and then he tells him, as far as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and, he, and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be a father of 12 rulers, which is what I was mentioning, well, you were mentioning earlier. It, yeah. Yes. And I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. Whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or brought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Because he wanted he wanted to make
1: sure that everybody everybody was under under the blessing. Under the covenant. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. That was that was pretty much his his intention that everyone in his family will be blessed by what just God, you know, told him before. Yeah.
0: So you know, and he he tells him he even gives him a time, a timeline. He says one year from now, it's gonna happen. Yeah. So what is what does that lead Abraham to do? He he decides to continue to walk in a walk of faith in a because now he's no longer Abraham. Yeah. He's now Abraham. Abraham. Yes. God has literally shown up to him and made him the promise and made him the covenant, made him the pact. And interestingly enough. You know, there's a little story that the Bible adds in, in between the transition period of, you know, of Abraham choosing to receive this promise. That's where we get the story of Sodom and Gomorrah added in. And we see Abraham's posture is a posture of being almost like an intercessor, pleading on behalf of his family and of his generations. Instead of, you know, walking in unbelief, he stretches his faith. And that's where we truly start to see a shift in Abraham because he's no longer Abraham. Along with his new name, along with his change of name, came like a change of identity almost. And we see a whole different posture in Abraham and how he chooses to carry out his approach to God. Right? And there's that whole story. You know, you can go and read them. It's uh, Genesis uh, chapter 18.
1: Right. When he intercedes... uh, um from his nephew Lot, that he was living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and we know all the story when uh, uh, Lot, uh, Lot's wife became a, a statue of Saul, because he turned away. He, he he was the angel said do not turn away, and then she did it, and boom right there was a big statue of Saul, and that's you know. But one of the thing is that when Abraham took a a, a a step of faith and and said, You know, he intercede for his nephew. And that's why, that's what we can learn from chapter uh, 18 that we can intercede for our families or relatives that are living, you know, and, you know, the way they're, trying, because we we have a covenant with God. And I encourage you, um, moms and dad, that you, you know, keep praying for your son, your daughter, whatever they're. Doing what they're living, you know, there are sons and daughters of promise. As as you know, Lot was part of the uh, Abraham family. So I think one of the things that we need to encourage ourselves, especially in the times we're living, that do not lo- do not lose hope. Just keep praying, believe because you have a promise, a better. We, the the Book of Hebrews said that we have a better covenant with better promises.
0: Nice. Yeah, and I mean, it just continues to go into another story of Abraham and how, you know, he falls into a pattern. I don't know if you have any insight on the story of Abraham and Abimelech, someone like you who has studied the word more, perhaps has more insight into that, or do you not really know much of that story?
1: I I think for the sake of the time, and I think we have covered a lot, you know, because Abraham is, is a huge. is one of the big big figures in the in uh you know in the uh, Jewish, especially because all the 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 promise it, it was received through Abraham, and I guess one of the things that we can definitely say that even they the were all God manifest Himself, and then you know they got Isaac, the 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 son of the promise, and one of the things is that. Look at how old he was. He was more than a hundred years, and he was a hundred. Yeah, and Sarah was, you know, and that's one of the things we see God it, as you mentioned. He a "Shaddai, all powerful one," and He can do, you know, probably in our strain or we see the limitation. But for God to fulfill His plan, He will do what it takes to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's cool to touch on that, but I don't think we can just glance over the fact that Abraham although he continued to yeah God made him a promise and a covenant but the whole story with Abraham and Abimelech is not one that can get glanced over because we see Abraham continue to revert into his patterns the same thing he did before when he told the Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister he did the same thing with Abimelech did you you haven't read that story? Not really. I don't remember, like, right there in my mind right now. I mean, essentially what happens and what it says is that there was another region and Abraham moved further on. And he was originally, remember, he was in Egypt, but then he was cast out of Egypt. So he was just rummaging essentially through these regions with his caravan of things, his possessions, his families, his peoples. But he eventually arrives and to this territory known as Gerar, And there was a king there. Abimelech was the king of Gerar. And again, what Abraham does, instead of saying that she's my wife, he says that this is my sister. The same thing that he had done to the Egyptian king. But there was a difference this time around because he did take her and he did bring her into his court and basically... Just gave her to him. But look at what it says in verse 3 of chapter 20. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. He was referring to Sarai. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, meaning he had not done anything that was not right. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say... He is my brother. I have done this with the clear conscience and clear hands. Then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know you did this thing with the clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. So right there, we see God extending now that covenant, Instead of cursing those who cursed him and blessing those who blessed him, he says he, God himself, directly intervenes for this person. And directly, he begins to advocate and plea for that person. So look at what he does. Abimelech does what God instructs him, and he returns Sarah back to Abraham. And in that, basically what happens, you know, the, the king questions Abraham and he asks him, why did you lie to me? Why did you do this? And I'm reading verse 11 of chapter 20. Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. So technically he had never really lied about it. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, and Abimelech said, my land is before you, live wherever you like. So there we see God continue to uphold his covenant with, in this case, Abraham. And furthermore, the covenant Through Abimelech, now the blessing is extended because Abraham prays for Abimelech. He is restored. And so now we see God's plan with humanity now start to expand, now start to encompass a much larger part of humanity. Then that leads to the birth of Isaac, you know, that miraculous birth that we were talking about and how people thought that it shouldn't have happened. Abraham himself, it was a miracle from God. But more importantly, you know, What's so pivotal about Isaac is that he represents a testing for Abraham. I, I want you to touch on that aspect of you know that whole scene of Abraham and how God tested him by telling him to offer up his son as a sacrifice. Yeah, you, you know, do you have any insight to add on that?
1: Yeah, that's a uh, Genesis chapter twenty-two. Genesis chapter twenty-two. Yeah, when when God told Abraham to to sacrifice Isaac because uh, one of the things is that. Uh can you imagine after going through all these situations, all these many trials, now the, it was the Isaac was the, the promised son. Now Isaac born, and now God told him, You know, you have to give it to me. And that was a testing. It according to this the the history, Abraham right there had 120 years. He'd been walking with the Lord for 50 years. So now as, as we see, as we're reading, even in those 50 years, he was showing some patterns of of fall. Yeah. You see? So, but God was still faithful. And now God is testing Abraham's heart and said, you know, you have to give me your son. And then we see the big, big story that when, when, when before they went to, to the mountain and, uh, he said, you know, the Lord will provide. And that's when we see that God was pleased with Abraham, that provided for the sacrifice. And
0: that's one of the things that we see that... That was a foundational pivot, though. because yes. I, So just to briefly summarize the story for those of you who maybe never have heard it, essentially, God speaks to Abraham and he tells him, go, take yourself and take your son up to the mountain. And... Essentially, I will tell you what I need you to do once you get to the mountain. <laughs> he gave him very vague instructions. He tells him, I'm reading just quickly, verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Already there, that's a very specific pattern. Your only take son. your son, your only son, Isaac. This is extremely important when we start talking about the shadow and how we can see Jesus right there. Similar to when John three sixteen for God gave His only one and begotten Son whom He loved exactly, and that's pretty much kind of the pattern. Yeah, John that, three that's, sixteen. That's yeah. that's the shadow. You see the
1: Father giving His only Son. Mm. That's the, That's w- what the main message yeah. is. Is is showing uh, uh, the hearts of the Father. Heart of the Father. It's Who what in, God was testing. Yes, yeah. yes, because He said that that God tested Abraham faith. Abraham, Abraham, God, God called it. And that's what we see right there. Because he tells him,
0: sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So look at that. God tells him, hey, I need you to offer your son as a sacrifice. And Abraham starts doing it. He says he wakes up the next day. He gathers his materials. And funnily enough, Isaac is with him. They have a donkey. They have some wood. They have everything they need to essentially carry out a burnt offering on this mountain. And funnily enough, his son asks him, Hey, I'm here. You're here. We got the wood here. What are we going to sacrifice? Where's the lamb? Because Isaac was not dumb. He knew the patterns. He, you know, he knew the rituals. Now, if you see verse 4, it says, On the third day
1: of their journey, Abraham looked up they saw the place in a distance can you imagine from day one day two day three walking to a yeah. place he he had the chance to say you know what I'm not gonna obey he was he, he, who could question God I mean you, wow you gave me the son I, now, get that. Mm. I mean I mean I went through all the all the trial I went through many things now you're asking me my son you know but he said that he looked at the place in a distant, this, this is very crucial for Abraham's life. A, a mark is significant in his character. Yeah. Because he is showing a true obedience, yeah. a true believing of God's promise. Because that was
0: the caveat, that was yes. the requirement for the covenant. He said, Walk righteously before me. So Abraham was going to follow through and Fulfill the covenant. And of course, you know, what a beautiful symbolism of on the third day, like when Jesus resurrects yes. on the third and day. It, you and, know? It, and it is pointed. Yeah. It is pointed that
1: the, 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 on the third day, Jesus resurrected. Because you see all these stories that we see, that we're going to talk about, it, it's a shadow yes. to the person of Jesus. And that's why you say, and, and then if we continue reading. A,
0: Isaac asks him. Yes. He says, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. I'm reading in verse 7. Okay. But where is the lamb Mm -hmm. for the burnt offering? Because Isaac knew that they were there for an offering. And look at verse 8. What does Abraham respond? He says, and Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So right there, Abraham steps out in faith. Because he doesn't tell his son, even though he knew what God told him, that he was the sacrifice. Yes. Imagine a father in his heart. it, It connects to when, for me, it connects to when Jesus was at Golgotha and he tells him, is there any way that this cup can pass from, and he says, if it's not my will, let your will be done. Right there, we see Abraham saying, God will provide the sacrifice. That's powerful. That's essentially him right there stepping into faith, activating. That's faith. why. Yeah. That's
1: why he's
0: called the
1: father of faith. That's why, because you see the character of Abraham, you know he's been been walking with the Lord almost fifty years. He have to he have to groan in his faith. He said, "God will provide for the sacrifice." He was he, he in the last
0: moment he was expecting a miraculous God to he, he wasn't, though, because look at what it says. It says he builds the altar. Yes. He binds his son, and then the, the scripture is intentional. I think it's so intentional yes. because it literally says on verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. I'm reading from chapter 22. Yes. Verse 10, then he reached out his hand he and his took the knife To slay his son. Right there, verse 10 tells us that he was ready.
1: Mm -hmm. He was
0: ready to kill him. He was ready to say, you know what? I guess, I don't know when God is going to show up, but I'm willing to kill him. This is it. Yes. And what happened? Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he replies, here I am. Look at that. At the last moment, and verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, a thicket meaning like a thick uh, gathering of cloud, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and And took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba.
1: Could you imagine what happened that day? It was a, It was a true test. From Abraham's heart. And that's what, you know, after that it was it was really the, the comp the the complement yeah. of God blesses, say, you know, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna multiply, you're gonna reign, you're gonna everything is gonna be. Why? Because you have passed the test. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, we want the blessings. Sometimes we wanna reach high levels. Sometimes we're not able to pass the test. Mm. Sometimes we, we are so focused on what we have. What, everything what we have is because the Lord has provided us, yeah. given us. And sometimes, you know, we, we are so selfish in ourselves. Oh, the Lord gave me this. The Lord gave me this. Right there you see, you know, a man with 120 years waiting for his son. Wow. And now the Lord asking, give it to me. And he went with obedience. He only enjoyed
0: his son for twenty years. Isaac was twenty years old. But you know what? The thing is that he knew the covenant. Mm. That's when it it, had become
1: reality to him at that point. That 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 he he was he was so assured when he said the Lord will provide. He knew God's heart. Yeah. He knew that that many many many
0: occasions he knew that God was gonna manifest right there. And that's faith. And we saw that Abraham was tested and had to grow in faith because he is the birth of his son, but this happened 20 years after. And we read of those stories with Sodom and Gomorrah, how Abraham had to stand on the line and really reach out for people who weren't himself. He had to be selfless. Then we see his posture with the king, Abimelech. He is he initially judges by saying, I thought there was no good here, but God has to reveal to him. It's not the condition of the outside. You have to look at the heart. And one of the things, the way he
1: he developed his relationship, remember God always had a conversation with, with Abraham. Yeah. So it, it was re- relational. Relational. It, re- it was re- That's the way we build our faith. When we have a relationship with this God, when we
0: have communication, yeah. that's when we will understand his heart. And when it will be revealed to us the way that Abraham had it revealed to him. And, you know, we just encourage you that with with this. Yeah. If there's one reflection that you can grab from this is don't be like Abraham in the bad sense. You know, <laughs> don't don't say that your wife is your sister. And obviously, you know, I'm just joking, you know, in that sense. <laughs> metaphorically, yeah, yeah, yeah. incest is obviously crazy. Don't even say that. But. I mean, think about the instances in your life where maybe you know that God has made a promise over your life, but the only thing, and that's what really impacted me about Abraham. Abraham, not Abraham. What impacted me about Abraham is that he was walking in the blessing, not once, not twice, but even while he had the promise declared over his life, and I feel like sometimes we can fall into this pattern where we've had words spoken over us, we've had... In powerful encounters, we've had moments where we've literally been in the presence of God and we're transformed. But then what we see in Abraham is that what really limits him from achieving his true potential is himself. There's nothing else. There's no external circumstances. There's no war going on. There's no one pointing a gun at his head. There's no one influencing him but himself. And what, did that, what was that reflecting into me is that oftentimes... We become our own biggest enemies. Oftentimes, the battles and the struggles that we go through, God is right there on the other side of it, just waiting for you to execute His will, for us to for us to surrender, for us to be able to live in a position where we understand the covenant of God, which is that He is for you, He is not against you, He is there to prosper you, that through Christ we are able to be redeemed, that through Christ we are able to be made worthy and redeemed by the blood of Christ, that's the covenant of God. Everything that applied to Abraham, and Abraham eventually when it said that he was the father of multitudes of nations, I took a second and I thought about myself. And if at the end of the day, we truly all are descendants from the same people, then in, in extension of that, I am connected to Abraham. Through faith, And that the same covenant that God will bless those who bless me and curse those who curse me, that can apply to me too. But oftentimes, I get in my own way of receiving God's blessing. If, if that's kind of like the summary of, mm-hmm. of Abraham is that God wanted to bless and bless and bless and bless. But time and time and time again, Abraham took things into his own hands and tried to go about receiving the blessing through what he saw with his eyes. And so I just motivate you guys this week, you know, with that.
1: I think because sometimes we we get so comfortable in the blessing and not the one who gives us the blessing. And sometimes we get so caught up with the blessing instead of being more focused, the one who gives the blessing. And I'm encouraging you, and I know uh, many that listen right now, that maybe the Lord has, you know, a prophetic word or something like that if you believe in the in prophetic your heart, and, you in you know in mind i know that, that, that god has that, spoken yeah to in in many ways like I, I remember long time ago when i start um my journey uh to to be you know to christian i remember my first encounters uh, when i used to go to to the uh, revivals and people were praying over me and saying you know, the lord the lord has called you to 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 use you and in those moments i said to use me for what, and it you know it, it's been a journey. You know, uh, I I didn't if 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 I knew that what the Lord was gonna call me to be a pastor, probably in those days I'd say I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. You know, but the, at the end of the day, it's not what you want; it's what He has for you. And that's I think for Abraham was the struggle. You know, he 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 could not get rid of those bad
0: habits, lying. Yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, look at what happened. And and he tried to justify it. Yeah. You see, that's what I, I, I I looked at it. I'm like, you're right. He was lying. Like, that's not his sister. That's his wife. Yeah. But yet, even when he was in the presence of Abimelech, he's like, oh, let me try and justify it. Yeah. But God, that wasn't God's end with no, Abraham, because no. he then has to go and tell him and reveal Himself yeah. one more time. Yeah. Right so
1: now. that's why I encourage you. Not, you know, I mean, we all have, we all do mistakes. We all do sometimes, but don't disqualify yourself. I encourage you to trying to see yourself a gas issue. So I hope this podcast has been blessed, especially when we're talking about um, Abraham, uh, the the father of the faith.
0: Yeah, he's. This is just an introduction into this sort of part. We're going to take it three parts into this because if you've heard any time any Hebrew person ever pray, have you ever heard a Jewish person pray? Yeah. They always close it with the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So we're going to dive into why. Why is it the God of Abraham? Why is it the God of Isaac? Why is it the God of Jacob? Today we got a really in-depth introduction into the first one. We we talked about the grandfather. The grandpappy, <laughs> el abuelito. <laughs> and then we have
1: to see Isaac, and then we have to see Jacob. And they're all Israel. interconnected.
0: Yes. And yes. how eventually we're going to merge the gap and close it with, you know, we were speaking about Saul, David, and Solomon. So we'll tie all about how this whole Old Testament narrative really ties in and eventually, you know, I'm excited for when we transition into the New Testament and start talking about some of those stories and how impactful they can be. But really, I encourage you this week, you know, we we dived into a lot of dense content in, into this podcast. So really, you know, I know it might have been a lot for you to process, but truly you know, take some time. Maybe go and read the stories for yourself. Take some time reading through Genesis. If you take a little bit of time out of your day every day, you might be done within a week. Maybe know? there is some movies also that oh, you can, yeah.
1: that you can look at it. That 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 will give you like a big idea of the you know the life of these characters that we're talking about
0: and how you know. Of course, we're always talking about how these, they existed when they, they were rocking sandals and tunics yeah. and robes. So, you know, we try to really make this relevant to us here today and how we can have it impact our lives. And we just pray that this podcast continues to be a blessing for you guys and that, you know, we continue to grow. We continue to exist in the family of God and how he planned it for us from the start. So, so we
1: encourage you to que se mantengan en la ola. Finally, Un aplauso, <laughs> a round of applause.
0: We got it, boys and girls. Episode 8, good episode. So y'all stay wavy. We love you guys. Yeah, have a great week.